Hello, 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 and welcome to episode 129 of the Mo Money Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Morehouse. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the show. Uh, you're going to love this episode because I loved it personally. I am talking to Tim Nash, who is, uh, well, he's known as the sustainable economist, and he is an investing coach. And in this episode, we're going to dive deep into what it means to not only invest uh, wisely, but also invest sustainably. Now, I actually met uh, Tim, I guess, well, it was maybe six months ago now. Um, I knew of him and his blog and really liked what he was all about, but he uh, gave me an invitation to this fair that he um, uh, put together. It was called the Sustainable Investing Fair, and it was really cool. There was a bunch of different booths, um, and uh, there was, you know, solar shares and co-power and uh, lots of uh, different kind of ways to invest uh, uh, but by also being like sustainable and green and, uh, and investing in clean energy and things like that. And it really just opened up a whole new world in terms of what you can invest in. Um, so we talk more in depth about that. But before I get to that interview, uh, here is a few words about this episode's sponsor. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelancer. Challenging? You bet it is. But our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are so worth it. Let's be honest. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. To meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. Create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four days faster, and see when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to all those guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to all of my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash mo and enter Mo Money Podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, that's freshbooks.com slash mo and enter Mo Money Podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Thank you, Tim, for joining me on the Mo Money Podcast. I am stoked to talk to you about investing, but specifically sustainable and uh, just non-evil investing. <laughs> non-evil. Non-evil. <laughs> well, less evil. Less, less evil. evil. Yeah. yeah let's, let's, let's be fair. Less evil. Less evil, less evil for sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm so glad when we first met, you invited me to... What was the, what was the, the um, event that you got me to yeah, go to? Which called, I'm so glad you did. <laughs> it, was a, it was a fun event. It's called the Good Investment Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I basically, I rented out a, a big room and I invited all these different community investment organizations. So, organizations that sell community bonds and solar bonds and microfinance and all these different ways that you can do a lot of good. Uh, with your money while still earning a financial mm-hmm. return and sort of saving for you know retirement or whatever financial goals you got. Um, and it was awesome. We had like 10 booths set up yep. around and people could just go and we gave out fake money. Yeah. So I gave people like $5 million or something, like million-dollar bills, and they had to decide who they wanted to invest their fake money with. 
And, uh, and it was a lot of fun. It was a good way to learn about all these different, really cool impact investment organizations. Yeah, it really opened my eyes to just different things that you could invest to. Because I feel like a lot of people, when they think about investing, they're like, okay, well, there's you know your regular stocks, mutual funds, index funds, ETFs. But I had yeah. no idea solar yeah. share was a thing. I yeah, didn't know, totally. you know, community bonds or green bonds existed yeah. because I think, are they fairly relatively new? Is that kind of why? Uh, you know, the, a lot of them have been around for a while. Microfinance has been around for a long time. I mean, when you think about, uh, uh different organizations like raising money, but now it's just, it's a lot more structured than yeah. it was in the past. And, and I would say that it's, it's starting to get a lot more popular in the sense that it's always been very local. Like the point of it is local investments, but now it's it's starting to loosen up where, you know, local is, we're starting to realize we're global citizens. Yep. So, yeah, so it's definitely, they're still small when I look at assets under management, yeah. you know, it's grown a lot in the last probably five years, but it still has a long way to go. Mm-hmm. And But the biggest barrier is awareness. Just a lot of people have never thought about it when they, they do their investing, they just kind of give their money and they're like, okay, you yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. Take care of yourself. I'll and, look at you once a year. <laughs> Exactly. And, uh, and so this is a way for people that want to be a little bit more involved, that want to really know and, and invest in their local communities. Absolutely. So yeah, thank you for bringing me to that because it really did kind of, uh, yeah, open my eyes. I, I uh-huh. you know, learned a ton. Uh, but before I just like start asking you questions about everything <laughs> you know, um, I would love to learn a little bit about you and your background and, and sure. how you became what people call you now the sustainable economist. Sure. Uh, you want my origin story? I do. Uh, please. Sure. Okay. Please enlighten me. Uh, absolutely. So uh, I grew up in London, Ontario uh, with my dad in the investment industry. So I grew up ah. on stocks and bonds. I was one of those little rugrats running around the office. And uh, I always had a good brain for it. So from my undergrad, uh, I went out to Halifax. I studied economics and philosophy. So I was kind of the weird one in each of those departments. Mm-hmm. And in my third year, I got accepted to do an exchange to New Zealand. And my intention was really just to go and party and play <laughs> rugby and hitchhike around New Zealand. Uh, but a few things happened there that sort of changed the course of my life. The first is that I took a course in triple bottom line economics. Mm, you've intriguing. Heard bo- you've heard of the bottom line, right? You know, it's profit. Like, it's all about the bottom line. For the first time, this was a course that looked at the triple bottom line, which is people, planet, and profit. So that rather than just money, it brought in human capital, social capital, and natural capital into that equation. Mm -hmm. And light bulbs just started going off in my head. I had had a lot of issues with the way uh, I was being taught the economic system that, you know, was this big behemoth thing. It was all about profit maximization. And spotty sense was always going off in my head saying, wait a minute, something's wrong here. And I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But when I started to understand and, and look at it through this lens of looking at, you know, human capital, health, education, knowledge, like these are really important things, social capital, things like trust and community well-being, and then obviously natural capital, which is the environment, which really our entire economy depends on our environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and those things were missing from my traditional economics uh, teachings. So to get insights there, it really opened up my mind. Uh, as well, I had a pretty profound spiritual experience when I was in New Zealand. I won't get into it too much, but uh, it really taught me how badly we're damaging this planet. Mm-hmm. And it stopped being this intellectual exercise of, wait a minute, we're cutting down trees faster than they're growing ba- back. Yeah, right? This is a problem. 
And it became this emotional thing where it was like, whoa, like we're really messing things up. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. I'll say we're. Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Okay. So like, we're really fucking up the planet and it became this emotional, like, wow, I need to do something about this. Like, this is not right. Yeah. And on my way home from New Zealand, I stopped um, and visited my uncle in China, in Beijing for a couple of weeks. And my sister was doing uh, an international development placement in Bangalore, India. Mm -hmm. And I traveled around India with her for about two months. And I saw extreme poverty firsthand. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize how much of a sheltered, privileged existence I had growing up in London, Ontario. Yeah. Like I just, I'd never seen ecological, you know, and and human uh, uh, problems so closely. So I went back to my fourth year economics department full of questions. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) Um, My professors were not very happy with me. Uh, I was asking a lot of tough questions and they didn't have answers. Some Mm -hmm. of them were like, go do an independent study project. Most of them just shut me down. They're like, no, we don't talk about that. Um, So I graduated with my BA in economics with way more questions than I had answers. Uh, So I went to Sweden and I did my master's in sustainability. Uh, And it was awesome. Uh, I learned basic, what I call earth system sciences. So basic biology, chemistry, physics, understanding climate change and and the implications there. Mm -hmm. I took a course on engineering for a sustainable society about all these cool new green technologies that are coming out. Um, And for my thesis, I looked at this idea of socially responsible investment. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating because as soon as I brought up, you know, I talked to these big investment experts and I bring up the words ethical, responsible, sustainable, people automatically assumed lower financial returns. Like right off the bat, it was like, oh, that's cute. You want to save the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in this to make money. Yeah. But everything I was learning in Sweden was telling me that there's a business case for sustainability. Mm-hmm. The companies that are ahead of the curve use less energy, less water, less materials because they're more efficient, right? Their employees are more productive because they yeah. actually give a damn about the company. And there's less turnover. And the cost associated with hiring and training a new employee, stupid high. Mm-hmm. And then on the revenue side, you've got uh, uh, customers that are more loyal and often willing to pay a premium for organic, fair trade, ethically sourced goods. Yep. So I'm sitting there with my economist hat saying, wait a minute, higher revenues, lower costs, a more productive workforce. This is a recipe for profitability. Yep. And so my whole thesis was connecting the dots between sustainability and profitability. And so, uh, um, yeah, and so I came home, came back to Canada in July of 2008, ready to take the investment world by storm. Uh, I was really strategic with my advisors on my thesis. So I had a lot of people here in Toronto that, you know, the big firms that I wanted to get hired by mm-hmm. were all my advisors. So I was doing the coffee meeting thing when three months later, in October of 2008, the markets crashed. Yeah, bad timing. <laughs> and they kept crashing. Yeah, they did. And I moved home to my parents' basement in London, Ontario. Yeah. And spent a couple months banging my head against the wall. I'd wake up in the morning and turn on CNBC and watch the markets collapse in real yeah. time. So, in so. January of 2009, I said, fuck it. I'm starting my own business. Good for you. And I taught myself HTML and I built a really ugly website. And I went wow. on clip art and I printed some really ugly business cards. <laughs> but in this day and age, all you need is, uh, uh, you know, a website and business cards and boom, you're a consultant. Yeah. So I went out in the world and, uh, and started doing that. Wow. Yeah. Good for you for not just like, ah, oh, crap. I mean, I kind of, 
it took me a while to figure out what you figured out in like probably a matter of months. It's, it sounds like we have a, a similar timeline. I graduated, well, with my undergrad in 2009. And I'm like, yeah. well, this is a terrible yeah. time to find a job. <laughs> but that's awesome that you're like, that's I'm going to take this as an opportunity to uh, start yeah. my own business. That's amazing. And yeah. so, and you've been doing your, I mean, it's 2017 now. So you've yeah, been, been out uh, doing quite well. Well, my first business model failed. Oh, <laughs> well, that's okay. So a failure is just a lesson. Learning experience is I went after institutional investors, mm. so foundations, pensions, endowments. Uh, I had a little bit of success. I helped a group called the Catherine Donnelly Foundation. Um, they needed a new manager for their $40 million endowment. Oh, wow. So I helped them do that. They divested from fossil fuels before the oil markets crashed. Mm-hmm. And they've been leaders in these community investments, community bonds, green bonds, which have done better than yep. traditional bonds or last five years. So like they made more money while it was aligned with their value. I thought that, you know, I got a, that was my golden ticket that their yeah. recommendation, you know, foundations would be lined up around the block to hire me, hire returns and do good in the world. Yeah. Seems like a no brainer, but meeting after meeting was no, no, not yet. Sorry. No. And so about five years ago, I found myself broke with a failed business model. Um, so that's when I invented the sustainable autonomous brand. I, I had to pivot. Yeah. And so I decided, okay, I'm done trying to convince people. Yeah. Instead, I'm just going to write about my own experiences. Um, I was lucky I came into some money and in early inheritance from my grandpa. So I was able to pay off my student loans and started thinking about how I would invest my own money. Amazing. And that's when I started blogging. And I just started blogging about these different socially responsible and green ETFs. Mm-hmm. Really, no one else was doing it. They, yep. they were out there, but no one was talking about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then people started contacting me saying, Tim, how do I do this too? Mm-hmm. So it's been really exciting. So it's, yeah, you know, that's I, I like that revolution. you kind of figured, yeah, like you said, pivoted and eventually, and, and basically started kind of, you know, just making it easy for people that wanted what you were offering to find you instead of trying to convince people that don't want what exactly. you have. You yeah. got it. And that's I, what I was you done do, right? my head against the wall, right? And it was swimming upstream. I was exhausted. I was burnt out. So instead, like, you know, it's just, and then people started self-selecting. Yep. That if they were putting in, you know, socially responsible ETF into Google, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that they were going to find my blog. Yeah, that's helpful. So it was, yeah, so it's pretty cool. So it's been it's been a, a wild ride, and you know, now I feel that I've got a business model that works. Like I'm helping individuals and families, and mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a lot of fun. It's you know, yeah. when, when you help people figure this stuff out. And you can see the light bulbs going off in their head now where they realize that they can make really good uh, decisions and earn good financial returns, but also feel good about the investments. Absolutely. Um, then, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to see that evolution happen. Absolutely. Do you think there's, you know, part of the reason is because there's, for me, in my perspective, it seems like in the past couple of years, the idea of DIY investing and, and doing something yeah. different that our, our parents or grandparents' generations where they'd go to the bank, talk to an advisor, and the advisor would pick everything for them. And then you'd be like, yeah. all right, fine. It seems like people want to take more ownership and get more yeah. educated. Do you think that's kind of yeah. why people are more drawn to like hiring an investment coach so they can like learn the tools and then do it themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it. Obviously, the the savings, like saving money on fees, yeah, yeah, has a big. Yeah. So, like, there's a huge financial incentive yeah. to do it yourself, and I think people are coming into that. Um, but also that I think that uh, a lot of people now are making decisions more intentionally. Is the word mm-hmm. I'm that we're looking at our consumption dollars and like what kind of companies do I want to support? 
And, you know, we're looking at, at where we travel. We're looking at like all these different things through a bit more of a deliberate lens, right? Mm-hmm. And that with the internet, it's become so much easier to do things yourself. Yep. Like I always use the analogy. A lot of people, when they come to me, they're like, uh, the idea of investing my own money online, it's scary. I don't like it. And the analogy I always bring up is the first time you book an airline ticket online. Yep. Like what did people used to do? Like they would call up a human <laughs> yeah. and be like, Hey, I want to go to this place and there, and they would like do it for you. Yeah. But you don't do that anymore. And the first time it felt weird. You're like, wait a minute, I'm going to book it myself. No. Yeah. What if I do it wrong? In. What if I, yeah. This is, and then you do it and you get to pick your dates. You get to pick your flight. You get to, right. You get to make sure you got the best deal, right. Customize everything. And then you're like, whoa, that was so easy. Mm-hmm. And so I feel that really that's, you know, there's a lot of this psychological barriers around people investing their own money. But once you actually do it once, you're like, yeah. oh, that was so easy. Do you think it's also, I, I think, and it could be just like, you know, a few years, you know, back when I was in my 20s and mm. wanted to invest, knew how important it was, but didn't know how to do it myself, even though mm. it seemed like that's what I wanted to do. I was afraid mm. there's a lack of knowledge, but it also seemed like there's a couple of just bears like, I don't know how to literally yeah. open up a brokerage, brokerage account right. and pick yeah. <laughs> what to invest in. And so it was, you know, I just got paralyzed from that yeah. fear and, you know kind of stalled all that. Is that totally, you know, people just it's literally so just give me a YouTube tutorial so and how to freaking do it. Yeah. Well, so part of it is that absolutely, you know, um, breaking that down, but it's also a big problem is the language involved, right? You know, it's acronym city. So we've got RSP, TFSA, ETFs, you know, you've yep. got this really weird language, market orders, limit orders, yep. stocks, options. We're not taught this. So it's literally yep. a foreign language for most people. Mm-hmm. And then you go and, you know, for the average person, they, you know, they start reading up on this stuff and, you know, and, and, and it's, uh, uh, it's, it's like reading Greek, you know? So that's why sites like yours are so important because if you can break it down and, and make it digestible for people and teach them the language in a way that's entertaining and fun, yeah. right. Then that to me is really the first step is just wrapping your head around the language of these things. Yeah. And then, and then from there moving from, that understanding the system to the implementation, then it becomes so much easier. But if you jump in implementation and like you don't know what a stock price is mm-hmm. or the difference between a bid price and an ask price, like we're not taught these things in school. Yep. No. And we think that because we were, you know, for so long taught that if you need to do anything finance wise, you have to go to a financial institution, talk to a professional that we shouldn't be able to do it ourselves. We'll mess it up. But so it is all learned. We can learn this right. stuff. It's so easy to learn. And most people, like, I have some of the smartest people. I have, like, doctors and, like, mm-hmm. lawyers who come in who are, like, brilliant people, engineers, who are just, like, some of the smartest people I know. And they're just like, Tim, I'm stupid when it comes to investing. And it's like, no, you're not stupid. You've just never tried. Yeah, exactly. You've never learned. You've never learned. And I'm cynical. I would argue that the financial industry, and specifically the big banks here in Canada, have a vested interest in keeping us stupid. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that there's there's part of it is a little bit intentional with some of these acronyms. You know, yeah. when you look at this idea of MER management expense ratio, like if they called that an annual fee, then it would be a very different. Yeah, story. that's probably people true. Most people attention. are like MER, uh. right? <laughs> and then walk away. <laughs> and then right. Oh, what's like so? You know, I I'm cynical, but I do feel that there is a deliberate attempt uh, mm-hmm. to keep people stupid about this mm-hmm. stuff. And just saying, don't worry about it. I've got it under control. Just pay me. 
thousands of, of dollars every year in hidden fees and, and you don't need to worry your, your brain about it. <laughs> um, speaking of doing it DIY and kind of just like, you know, tr- getting it started, yeah. uh, I guess one of the things that uh, I found very helpful was sites like yours and, of course, Dan Bordelotti's Canadian Couch yeah. Potato, where there's model yeah. portfolios. So it's like, yeah. here's an example or here are some suggestions. And I totally. know his are great, but you also have model portfolios, but yeah. I like how you call them. There's the organic couch potato <laughs> model portfolio. Yeah. I love that was organic. My first one. That That's was my so first good. one. I, I stole, love it. so I ripped off Dan Bartolotti. He's great. He's had me on his podcast. <laughs> He's the bet. Like I love him dearly. He's, He's so smart. But really what happened was when I was investing my own money, um, I looked at his, everything kept pointing me towards these catch potato portfolios. Yeah. It made so much sense to me, but I looked at the ETFs that were inside. I looked at the companies inside those ETFs and it made me gag. Like oh, there yeah. were just companies in there that I was just like, no, like I can't. I can't do it. Yeah. And so that's when I started looking at these socially responsible ETFs um, that actually mimic very closely uh, the the index approach that he uses. But what they do is they screen out sort of the worst of the worst, the most evil companies. There's still some stuff in there. There's still some shady characters. But less evil, to go back to the original joke, that that really it's getting rid of the worst of the worst. And I could at least stomach or tolerate those funds. Yeah. And so, so basically I ripped off his, his approach and I just tweaked it with this idea of sustainability in mind. And, you know, I was trying to come up with a name and it was just sort of perfect. The organic. Oh, I love it. Portfolio. It's so clever. And like how many people, yeah, you can buy the organic potatoes. Right? The, <laughs> the fees are a little bit higher. Like they are, it's got a higher. Yeah, exactly. Just like an organic higher, potato. It's higher quality. You get mm-hmm. better. It's in the long run. It'll do better for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and it's, yeah. Absolutely. And I know you also have the socially responsible portfolio. What is the difference between the two? Um, Oh, yeah. I think all I did with the organic one is I added in the green. Ah. So the socially responsible is actually probably closer to the pure sort of cash potato, where it's just these sort of socially responsible indices. And then with the organic catch potato, um, I added in uh, uh, basically an asset class specifically for clean technologies, which tends to be a bit riskier. Mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. it's higher higher volatility. Uh, comp- green companies tend to be smaller companies. They also tend to be more growth focused, so they don't generally pay as high dividends, and they're more focused on growing and growing. Um, but the idea is that you know, if you understand climate change and, and some of the challenges that we're at, it's not a question of if we transition to a green economy, but like we need to transition to a green yeah. economy. So, it's more <laughs> than, like, when are we going to hit those tipping points with? you know, with carbon pricing and, and all these different things, and it's happening soon. And so for me, it was just kind of carving out part of that. That's the green. That's that's what makes it sort of the organic one, is that it's it's making a bit of a deliberate bet on the emergence of clean technologies, which, mm-hmm. you know, Dan Bartolotti and the traditional indexers wouldn't like me for doing that. But, um, you know, it's something that certainly I wanted exposure to in my portfolio. Absolutely. So I'd like to dig deep a little bit on, like, in your mind, what does it mean to you you know, invest sustainably. What's this? What does that mean? A sustainable investment? I know it's a whole yeah, big it's, deal in it. It's but, a can of worms in there. So really everyone probably has a different idea of it. So I'd, yeah, I'd love so, to know what your point of view is. So, so I've got my definition and I've got mine in that, you know, and in Sweden, I learned this whole framework for strategic sustainable development and all that. Um, but I've, I've let go of it. I've dropped it. So for me, it's really, it's about asking my clients. Yeah. 
so like Jessica, it's really about asking you, like, what does sustainability mean to you? Oh gosh. Yeah. It's a hard question. Yeah. Do you want to give it a shot? You don't have to. Ah, I don't know if I know the answer offhand, I guess. Okay. In terms of like, you know, ideally if I were to, uh, I probably have to take a look at my investments and see what's really going on. And I'm sure it's, they're not sustainable. (laughs) Let's play a game. Let's play a game. Okay. Okay. So here, this is the game I play with my clients. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you about different things that are in your index funds. And I want you to either give me a thumbs up. Yeah, yep. feels good. A thumb sideways, yeah, okay. tolerate it, but it's not a deal breaker. Or a thumbs down, which is just like, no, that this is not. I'm not happy about this. Like, okay, app. okay. So there are different things. There are different, and I get so many different issues. I'll just choose a couple of the more popular ones. Okay, okay. but uh, pharmaceutical companies. How do you feel about owning pharma? In your I guess like middle uh, sideways. Okay, sideways. Cool. Uh, uh, tobacco companies. Oh, big thumbs down. Food? Okay, talk to me about that. Why is that? It just, it doesn't feel Oh, good. I just, I, I can't stand how it, uh, you know, kills people basically. So yeah, it's it's hurt too many people that I know. So no. Right. So that's, you know, Philip yeah. Morris would be in your index fund. I'm sorry. D- um, uh, 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 military companies. I guess like middle. So, okay. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about, uh, um, uh, uh, fossil fuels, pipelines, things like that. You okay with that? I think a middle. Okay, I want to say thumbs down, okay. but I'm going to say no, middle. That's fine. And everyone has a different definition, yeah. right? And this is what I'm getting at, is that there is yeah. no one size fits There's all. There's no, yeah, right answer. And this, you, all you can do is look at the companies inside and be deliberate and say, where do you draw the line? And, and so now the question becomes, you know, if, if tobacco, I'll use that, that was a thumbs down for you. So that's a good example. If it's an actual deal breaker for you, know that tobacco companies is going to be a tiny fraction of your index. Yeah. So we're talking like a fraction, a fraction of your portfolio. So if you can tolerate that and it's not a big deal, then that's fine. But if you came to me and you were like, Tim, you know, I've had people in my life affected by, uh, uh, by cancer and it's, I know that tobacco causes cancer and I just can't stand the idea of Mm -hmm. profiting one penny from that, then it would be very simple of just simply, instead of going with the traditional couch potato indexes, going to these socially responsible indexes which get rid, and tobacco is one of the sectors they get rid of, not all the things I mentioned are mm-hmm. part of that screen, but tobacco is. And you could get similar returns, if not maybe a little bit better, because yeah. it's been a little bit better over the last five years, but you could get similar returns um, by and, and avoid tobacco. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's tricky, and, and that's what I call sort of the doing less evil, and everyone yep. has different, oh my goodness, uh, I just worked with a couple there vegans, so I mm. did a vegan portfolio. Oh, I love that. So I mean, not that I could ever be vegan, vegan, but I love that that's a portfolio you can it get. It was, right? Like, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't easy. Yeah, I bet it wasn't. <laughs> For me, I talked before about my cynicism, so in my portfolio, I've got banks, or thumbs down. Yeah, yeah. Right? I don't want to invest. Yeah. And a lot of these big banks that just do horrible things. You know, yeah. when I read about Wells Fargo and the sales tactics that are involved and know that every Canadian bank has those same sales tactics. Right. Like, it just, I can't, like I can't. So, right. So it's for everyone, it's going to be different. Yeah. Um, but the, and then from there, the flip side of the question is that's this sort of doing what's evil is the doing more good. So what can you feel good about? What, what's the world you want to retire into? Mm. Right. Um, so, you know, looking at things like renewable energy, water infrastructure, uh, environmental services, which is cleaning up pollution, 
um, some of this community stuff we mentioned, right? Community bonds, yeah. microfinance. Yeah. And we're not going to do that with all your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but carving out part of your portfolio in a deliberate amount that fits in with your overall risk return profile, Yeah. right? That we can carve out part of your money where you're still going to earn good financial returns. And potentially, like if my thesis is right about green technologies, that like climate change is real mm-hmm. and we need to do something about it, mm-hmm. that, you know, energy efficient products and services are going to do really well in yeah. the coming decades, then, um, you know, you can make more money than you would have otherwise. But uh, regardless, uh, you're going to feel good about it. Yeah. And what's funny for me is that one of the biggest problems of do-it-yourself investors is when people panic, that when there is a crash, yeah. people, right, they feel it emotionally and they sell. And it's fascinating. But what I find with my clients is when they believe in their investments and they feel good about them, they don't sell. Interesting. Because they feel like there's more, more of a lower. commitment or attachment to it. It's more of a long-term approach. And they understand it and they've gone through and they, they get it. And so they're much less likely to sort of panic sell, which is the worst thing you can do yep. is a do-it-yourself investor. And they actually hang on to things mm-hmm. and they ride it out because they know, well, even if it's done poorly financially, at least I feel good about it. And which to me is a really fascinating behavior. I would never would have guessed that that would be a side benefit of this. Mm-hmm. But when people do invest intentionally, um, I think they, they become a bit more patient mm-hmm. and they become a bit more long-term yep. and, you know, and, and we all know that the best approach when it comes to investing is to be patient and long-term. Which is so much easier said than done. My goodness. <laughs> so if this helps. Yeah, no, I, I love this idea that you can, it's almost like you're, you're being part of social change and, you know, economic change and just, you know, you're kind of, you know, voting with your investments. And I don't think people Correct. really think about that with their investments. They don't really think that they can have a voice no. by choosing what investments they want to. You got it. You got yeah. it. And there are other tactics like this is one is sort of owning the stuff. And there are things like shareholder engagement where you mm-hmm. can buy funds where they'll actively, cause you as a shareholder, right. You're an owner of the company. So they'll push for things like disclosure Yep. And they'll push for, you know, different uh, social, environmental, and governance issues. So there are a number of different ways that, that but for, in my mind, you know, you talk about leverage points in terms of, of changing the system. And yep. like, oh boy, like investments in the stock market drive so much yep. of, of our economy that for me, it's, it, I get really excited when I recognize right now it is a niche thing. Not many people have thought about it. But imagine a world where, you know, 75% of, of uh, investors are looking at these factors, knowing that it's a way to make a smart decision, that now all of a sudden the market market forces are pushing companies towards uh, social responsibility, uh, fair treatment of their uh, employees, uh, you know, ethical practices and best standards, right? Like for mm-hmm. me, this is this is how we're, we can fix a lot of those problems. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. It's, it's funny that, you know, most people think of investments as dry and boring, but uh, Mm -hmm. you've somehow made it really exciting. And like, we went deep. Shocker. (laughs) I'm sorry slash you're welcome. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, right. Tim, it has been a pleasure chatting with you. If anyone wants to learn more about this very niche, but I hopefully it won't always be niche. It'll be a little bit more broad and widespread in the next couple of decades, let's be honest. Uh, how can they find you and learn more? Sure. So uh, right now, my home address on the internet is at sustainableeconomist.com. Um, people can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Time Nash, T-I-M-E-N-A-S-H. Um, but really, the, the best thing would be to, to go to the website. Uh, you can sign up for a free newsletter. Um, check out. I haven't been writing as often as I would like. It's always a challenge with us. Um, you know, when you get busy working, all, it gets in the way. <laughs> I know. That, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the little corner of the internet that, that I have to share my thoughts. And that was episode 129 with Tim Nash, the sustainable economist. Make sure to check him out at sustainableeconomist.com. Uh, he's got a blog on there. He has a free newsletter. Uh, but most importantly, he has those model portfolios that we talked about in the episode that you'll probably want to check out. So make sure you do. Um, and of course, I'm going to include a bunch of information about what we talked about in this episode in the show notes. So make sure to go to jessicamorehouse.com slash 129 for all of that good stuff. And uh, before I let you go, there are a few words that I would like to share about today's podcast episode sponsor. Did you know that one in three Americans are self-employed? Because of the internet, it's now easier than ever to become self-employed or start a small business. That's why I was able to take a huge leap of faith and leave my nine to five almost a year ago. What started as my side hustle is now my full-time job, and I can run my entire business out of the comfort of my own home. Now, it has not been a walk in the park. I will not lie to you about that. Going from employee to entrepreneur is not for the faint-hearted. But what has made the transition so much easier in my life is by using software that really fits my needs. That's why I use FreshBooks as my go-to cloud accounting software. It helps me stay organized. I can pull reports within seconds. I can stay on top of payments from clients. And it basically takes a huge weight off my shoulders come tax time. And what's really cool is FreshBooks just came out with an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. And they're offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to all of my listeners. If you want to take advantage and try FreshBooks out for yourself, all you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash mo and enter Mo Money Podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, to try it out for free, go to freshbooks.com slash mo and enter Mo Money Podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode, but uh, if you're craving more, well, good news for you. I've got another episode for you tomorrow, part of my listener series you will not want to miss. It's actually the last listener series episode of the season, so don't miss it. So definitely hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you do not miss it, uh, but also uh friendly reminder, if you want to keep up with everything that I'm up to, all the things I do, and I do a heck of a lot, I've got a book club, I've got a Facebook group, I'm always creating new, um, you know, helpful worksheets and spreadsheets to help you on your financial life. I run the Millennial Money Meetup. I mean, I'm a busy gal. So to keep up with all the things that I do so you do not miss out, I highly recommend that you get onto my weekly newsletter. It is uh, awesome because I get to talk to you every single week and share 
uh, important news and helpful things. Uh, and it's super easy to do. Just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash subscribe and you'll be right on it. And uh, you'll also be able to get access to my free resource library. So definitely do it. Check it out. You will definitely not regret it. Okay, uh, that is enough for me. I will let you go. I will see you back here tomorrow for another episode of the Mo Money Podcast. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.